Welcome to Why Not Change the World, the RPI podcast. I'm your host, Jeannie Hedden-Gallagher. In the fall semester of 2020, the Severino Center for Technological Entrepreneurship at the Lally School of Management hosted a weekly speaker series in a management course called Impactful Innovators, where Rensselaer alumni described their entrepreneurial journeys and offered insights to current students. In this special episode of the podcast, we'll hear from a few of the invited guests. A quick audio note, at certain points, you will hear some beeps from listeners joining the seminars. We'll begin with Eben Bayer, a 2007 graduate of Rensselaer, who is now the co-founder and CEO of Ecovative Design, a biotech company creating materials with mycelium, the root structure of mushrooms. Ecovative began by developing mycelium insulation, but Bayer tells the students about the importance of a pivot, even at a time when things appear to be going right. We'll start with Bayer describing when his mycelium insulation was used on the well-known television crime show, CSI, shortly after Ecovative had won a half million dollars in an international entrepreneur competition. This is basically them describing how uh, mycelium insulation produced by Ecovative solves the crime. This aired on national television. Uh, like you could ask for better earned advertising for um, what we're doing, right? And uh, this was kind of like crazy because now people are, we've got this capital to build a mushroom insulation factory. For some reason, people are calling us being like, hey, I want to put mushroom insulation in my attic. My grandmother's cold, you know? Uh, we're like, oh, great, customer discovery, like product market fit. Um, and uh, with all this like momentum, I promised the Dutch people I'm going to build a mushroom insulation factory. I've got this ad running on national television about mushroom insulation. What do you think we Change direction. It's called a pivot, right? In Silicon Valley, it's called a pivot. Um, but there's a, you know, there's a real reason, which is we realized, okay, building insulation is a good idea. There's a real market product fit here, product market fit here, but it's really hard. There's regulations. It's a, it's defined as a very high volume, low margin industry. Um, we're like a scrappy little startup. Like we got to get a product out into the world. Like we got to show some traction around the science experiment. Um, and so we dug deep. We're like, well, what are we trying to do in the world? Like, why do we pick insulation? Energy efficiency for building, redu- reducing CO2 emissions, the pollution associated with construction. Like, these were all our motivators in replacing styrofoam. And we changed our thinking. We said, well, where else is styrofoam a problem? And that brought us to protective packaging, which was the total opposite. Uh, it's a small it's a small product. It's got fast product life cycles and compostability, uh, which is a key element of a natural material like mycelium materials, uh, was a value proposition in this space. Um, and we could make a hundred of them in the basement of the business incubator and and start selling them, which is what we did. Um, and so we ended up pivoting from building insulation and launched mushroom packaging uh, in 2010 uh, and acquired our first customers like Steelcase and Dell after that. So the lesson from all that is if you get new data, our data in this case was like insulation is going to kill us. Uh, we're not going to make progress on that. It's not a market we're going to be able to address with testing, scale up, access to capital, et cetera. Pick a new direction. Pick a new direction, even if someone gave you a half million dollar check to go in that direction. Pick a new direction if you've got a free infomercial running on national TV, right? It's not important about how you got there. What's important is the decision you take in the moment for your future. You only control what happens to you next. You have no control of how you got to where you were at this moment, right? So you always want to be taking new decisions and paying attention to the data in front of you. Often when you have an idea, you're like, oh, I have this great idea. I'd love to like uh, make it. Uh, but I don't have any of the parts to make it. Like maybe it's got a microprocessor in it. And um, one of the things I learned at RPI and I still practice in my life is, uh, well, for make a paper prototype of it, making a new kind of app, just draw a picture of it on a piece of paper and, and hand it to someone and see how they use it. 
you know, make it out of a cardboard box next, make it, make it 3d, you know, put some Play-Doh on it, you know, to show where you're, 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 where the user might grab it. Like it's okay if it's really horrible because the hard part is actually starting that design innovation loop. Once you start building something, you can improve on it. You can see, you can see the problems, you can see the opportunities and you can go from there. Um, over the past five years, we've been pushing the limits of what you can do with mycelium. So making squishy foams, leather, like textiles, very much like the skin of an animal. Uh, and most recently, we've really been focusing in on food. Uh, and uh, in a couple of weeks, you'll be able to buy our plant-based bacon uh, in Albany, New York, uh, from our Subco Atlas Food Co. Uh, and I, I want to talk a little bit about food and leather because uh, most of what you've probably heard about Ecovative is around plastics replacement. Um, we brought in our mission a few years ago to include um, reducing plastic pollution uh, and reducing animal slaughter. The uh, reason for that is, is twofold. Uh, one, uh, mycelium is uniquely suited for replacing animal materials. So like we can make the best non-animal-based skin in the world right now. Uh, we can make the best non-animal plant-based meat in the world right now. Uh, but two, um, animals are really hard on the planet. Uh, I grew up farming in central Vermont. I raised pigs. I slaughtered pigs for 15 years. Uh, I raised cows. I raised chickens. Uh, it was a small crop farm. It was beautiful. Doing this was a cultural way of life, and it was uh, net productive for that area, right? There wasn't a higher purpose for that land. Um, but factory farming is horrible, and I had a real blind spot to the amount of CO2 emissions, uh, methane emissions, particularly as it relates to cows, uh, as well as things like nitrogen escaping into, into the ocean that really mess up our ecosystem. And so, again, there's a business reason, technical business reason, like we can make something no one else can make better. Uh, and we can do it in a space where by doing so, we can like we can have the biggest lever to impact uh, uh, positivity for the planet. And so that's kind of our why we're in food right now. Um, I have one last lesson I want to share, though. Um, and this one's, I think, probably the most important for everyone to hear. Um, and it's simple. Everyone around you is struggling. Um, it's your peers. It may be your parents. It may be um, your siblings. It may be your professors. but uh, I think it's really important, especially with what's going on in the world today, that you remember this. Uh, and for those of you that uh, consider becoming entrepreneurs, and particularly uh, if you're going to devote your life to working on one of these hard problems, so you're not going to make email faster, you're not going to make it easier to set up a calendar invite, you're not going to incrementally improve the audio quality of this, this Zoom chat. Um, if you choose this path, you're, you're, you're going to do something really hard. Um, it's also really important to the world. Uh, and it's really important we get as many people as possible working in these dimensions. Uh, and the last part of this story for me is um, I wouldn't be speaking to you today if I hadn't started on this path. Uh, and I wouldn't have spoke, be speaking to you today if I didn't have a professor in my life, Bert Swerzy, um, who really, I'd be honest with you, like pushed me into this path, like both showed me what was possible in terms of invention uh, and also was really just like brutally honest about the problems facing the world. Like we've come a long way, but uh, there are very real issues that uh, we as a society have to contend to. And um, we need people to go in this direction and do it. And so Bert Swerzy's belief was you could use invention and innovation to improve the state of the world. And his approach to doing that was to get as many students as possible working in this domain and creating companies. So he didn't say, I'm going to go do this. He said, I'm too old to do that. I'm going to get as many people as possible doing that. Uh, and my hope is to continue to see that happening. I know by virtue of being in this class and listening today, it must be of interest with you. And um, I just want to encourage all of you to consider on this path, acknowledge that it will be really hard, acknowledge that when you do this, you'll have all these folks around you still struggling, but also know that it's really important to the world. So uh, for those of you that are thinking of going in that direction or maybe opening your mind to it, or those of you who already feel committed, I just, just want to say thank you. 
Next is Patrice Milos, a 1982 graduate of Rensselaer, who took an unconventional path to entrepreneurship and biomedical pharmaceuticals through one of the world's leading drug corporations. Currently the Vice President of Scientific Operations at Pine Trees Health, Milos engaged the students to think about what it means to be an innovative leader within the structure of a giant company. Growing as a leader, so I have three different challenges that I experienced that I thought would be fun to just talk through and, you know, just get a perspective on, you know, what would you do in these kind of situations? Um, so here's one example. I joined Pfizer in 1993. You know, I was a bench scientist, um, but yet I uh, was asked if I wanted to establish the pharmacogenomics group in 1996. And I said, yeah, why not? So um, three years onto something new. And that's, the, again, the great thing about a big company is that you can often evolve in a big company to be do, doing different things. And it really shaped me. So I started the group. I grew it to about 20 people. And it was constantly challenging Pfizer to think about a future of personalized health care. Not that they really wanted to, but it really was good for them. And I think um, they. Are, I think if they look back, those that are still there appreciated it. A, a really interesting thing happened, um, which is often happens in big companies, is in 2003, a challenge was presented to me um, where I was asked to take on a dysfunctional group where um, there had been serious problems, ethical problems in the group the leader had been fired and they asked me if I wanted to take on this group. Um, what would you do in a situation like that as you're thinking about this in your career? Any thoughts? Somebody had a comment. Megan, what Megan, where are you? Why don't you ask your question? Yes, I was wondering uh, dealing with a dysfunctional group, it uh, could be worthwhile challenge if you're interested in what that group is doing and involved in so you have something else to help uh, make your decision easier for your own personal career as well. Great. You know what? And that's exactly the situation. I didn't tell you what the dysfunctional group did. So what the dysfunctional group was doing was what we called clinical biochemical measurements. And it was probably one of the most important initiatives that Pfizer was embarking on at that time. Because what was happening is we were bringing in many novel therapeutic targets from genomics, developing molecules, taking them into the clinic, and they weren't working. So after my first no, I thought about it and I went back and said, exactly as you thought, would it challenge me and would it uh, provide the, um, the demonstration of you know, really changing, turning around a group. And I said, oh, what the heck, I'll take on the challenge. So it was a really interesting time. Um, and the first thing I did was I started with a meeting of each of the 20 people just to find out, you know, because they had been beaten down. I mean, they were so um, disheartened by the whole challenge the group had faced um, that they really needed to feel some level 
um, of inspiration or that what they were doing mattered because they really their leader was so disrespected. And so the work they were doing was almost disrespected as well. So I met with each of them. I really reviewed what they were doing. I met with the, the clinical uh, teams of which they were members and just reshaped the whole thinking and portfolio of the group. Um, and, and the problem that they were having is the Pfizer portfolio probably had 40 different compounds in development. And here you have a group of 20 people. They couldn't do it all, but they were told they could do it all and they couldn't do it all. So a lot of uh, expectation setting and redoing the science and making sure. And um, I think it was some of the most important work I did in my career. I go back to how much I learned and what an impact we had on the Pfizer portfolio. I mean, I could go into more detail, but the fact was we got that group really humming, really functional, and they were valued members of the team. And the great part is um, the, the senior leaders in the group who were really disheartened grew in their roles. They did a great job. And now many of them are leading huge departments um, across the industry. And so I feel like I had a role in their success. It was really great. Finally, we hear from 2012 graduate Brent Sulina, founder and CTO of Microorganic Technologies, a green energy company specializing in microbial fuel cell production. Sulina actually kicked off the speaker series and presented his struggles and satisfactions in becoming an entrepreneur. So I was excited to do this talk, but there's a few points that I wanted to cover up front. Um, you know, and the first is that, you know, I'm going to be sharing my story about our technology, our opportunity and how we assaulted it. Uh, but especially as you go through the speaker series this year, you'll notice that there's no single right way to do innovation. Um, you know, by definition, you're doing something that other people haven't done before and you're creating something that doesn't really exist. There's not going to be a precise formula to that, although certainly there are overarching tones. Um, so as you go through all of this, you know, it's important to remember that what I'm presenting you is my experience and you're meant to take the best of it and how it applies to, you know, your thought process and what you're looking to do. Um, which dovetails really nicely into a uh, second guidepost here, which is that, you know, no one really knows what they're doing with this stuff. The world around you is not there by design. It is what's endured. Um, through trial and error, what you see around you is something that seemed to make sense, um, but very little of it is, you know, the intended product that people had, you know, when they were producing it. Um, you know, you see innovation and entrepreneurship uh, presented a lot of ways with, uh, without the negatives um, or, you know, with kind of a rosy view of it. Um, and I think it is important to acknowledge in and of yourself that you're capable of great things. Um, but it is important to ask the question, you know, do you want to change the world? Um, certainly, I've stuck with this for about 10 years now. Um, but at any point, I always felt that I was being enriched both in what I was learning um, and in the kind of people and connections that I was uh, making um, that it has always been worth it. And my point is that, you know, there's a lot of different versions of success. Any experience you have with entrepreneurship and innovation pays dividends in terms of the people you meet, the resume building, you'll bring that knowledge to any project you're managing, any project you're budgeting moving forward. 
um, don't let long-term challenges dissuade you from, you know, trying a little bit. So I'm a uh, biochemist, uh, biophysicist by education, um, and I've always been enamored with the molecular machinery that is biology. From a design standpoint, life has a very vested interest in living. So you have billions of years of evolution that have created a molecular toolbox for survival on this planet, which conveniently also happens to be where I live and planned on innovating. What we do is to take advantage of the fact that all life is chemistry and therefore all chemistry being uh, electron transfer, all life is electric. We let those microbes push electrons into a wire, allowing them to literally breathe lightning. We grow a layer of microorganisms on the anode. Uh, they deposit electrons as they breathe up and uh, that go up and over through a wire where they're eventually deposited on atmospheric oxygen. But this is where I fell in love with this tech. With no moving parts, no precious metals, no rare earth metals, we're able to get DC power directly from anything that decomposes. Um, that's the kind of thing that you don't need to have immediately a application for to realize that that has enormous potential. And that gets us into the why of all of this. And the short answer is because we have some challenges ahead of us. Um, we are rapidly running out of fresh water. You know, with rising oceans, you're seeing more and more saltwater infiltration. Um, the global improvement of quality of life that's happened unprecedented in our time unfortunately also depends on us continually mining carbon from the ground and throwing it in the air, which is going to continue to make this cycle wor worse. In spite of all of that, and again, when I started learning about this technology, uh, there's energy all around us. You know, again, a pile of leaves has, you know, enough energy to get you from Albany to Buffalo. Your car just can't run on it. So we started looking at a technology that can do energy positive desalination uh, that, you know, again, has no precious metals or rare earth components. That's the kind of thing that seems to be worth spending a significant portion of your effort on. What we realized is that microbial fuel cells were inherently very valuable. Um, but we also realized that they wouldn't do anything without doing one thing first. And that brought us to our first use case of this technology, um, which was something that was very important, but was possibly the least exciting application of the technology. And that is wastewater treatment. So for this amazing world-changing technology, it turns out you have to start with sewage. It's a process called aeration. Uh, it involves putting air directly into the water so the microbes can break down the waste. It happens 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and most people are surprised to find out it's about 3 to 7% of all of the energy use in the United States. So about seven cents on every dollar spent on power in the U.S. goes to throwing air into sewage. Um, that's an enormous amount, and yet there's seven times the energy within that sewage that is needed for that process. Um, and at the end of the day, this is a technology that saved more lives than antibiotics. So it is absolutely critical uh, that we have a way to do this energy efficiently in the future. Um, but there is only one right way to do innovation, and that's whatever gets it done. You know, it is the one thing that you are judged solely by the success of accomplishing your mission. Um, there are a million ways to do this story, and, you know, I hope you at least dip your toes into finding out yours.
Why Not Change the World and the entire Impactful Innovator series were recorded remotely due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. For more information on the speakers you've just heard from and all the alumni who spoke last fall, head to lallyschool.rpi.edu. Please take a moment to rate this podcast on whatever app you're on. And if you'd like to learn more about what's happening at Rensselaer, visit rpi.edu. Thanks for listening.